0: Today's episode is brought to you by Ronan Tattoo at twenty six fifteen Broad, the only five star rated shop in Memphis. Open Tuesday through Saturday, four to midnight. Ronan is a judgment free shop with affordable pricing and high quality tattoo work. Make your appointment today at Ronan at Gmail or call nine oh one three seven one six nine two three. Mention OAM and get ten percent off. Stay tuned to hear more about our friends at Ronan
1: the OAMnetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Uno,
2: dos,
0: one, two, tres, Today's special is Memphis Soul Stew. I
1: can't stand the rain. Oh, I'm going this miss where the beat is to Memphis. Yes, I'ma rep this here till I walk up on death Down
3: in Memphis Yeah, Memphis, Tennessee Memphis, Tennessee 901, Shelby Drive,
2: look alive, look alive Down in the sweet old
3: Welcome to Memphis Musicology, the official podcast of the Memphis Rock and Soul Museum. I'm your host, Ezra Wheeler. Today on the show, we're going to be discussing the history and legacy of Memphis radio station WHER, which holds the distinction of being America's first all-women radio station. But as we'll see, it was also much more than that, especially to the scores of women who were featured on its airwaves for the roughly 17 years of its existence. Following that, we'll head back to the crate to dissect jazz and blues singer Alberta Hunter's 1978 comeback album, Remember My Name, which showed the world that the 83 year old could still go toe to toe with artists decades her junior. With that being said, let's dive right into the great story of WHER.
2: Good morning. This is WHER Radio, America's first all girl radio station, Memphis, Tennessee. W-H-E-R, 1430 kilocycles, with full power of 1,000 watts, as authorized by the Federal Communications Commission, Washington, D.C.
3: So our story today, like so many stories about Memphis music, begins with our old friend Sam Phillips, the founder of Sun Studios and one of the most important architects of rock and roll. So the year is 1955, and Phillips had just sold Elvis Presley's contract to RCA for $35,000, which in hindsight may have been a mistake, but a move that which allowed his business to remain financially solvent nonetheless. That money also allowed Phillips to invest in a lifelong dream of his, which was opening a radio station that he hoped would be as revolutionary and disruptive as his recording studio had recently proven to be. So recognizing that he would need some uh, financial assistance, You know, with getting this novel concept off the ground, Phillips reached out to his friend and fellow businessman, Kimmins Wilson, who at the time was operating a small family hotel chain out of Memphis called Holiday Inn. sure you've never heard of it. Anyway, Kimmins Wilson agreed to assist financially, but more importantly, perhaps, he offered up a space in one of his Holiday Inns to serve as the station's headquarters. So let's listen to a quick clip of Sam Phillips talking about the new space followed by a few of the earliest WHER DJs. So this clip, along with most of the others that we're going to hear today, is taken from the excellent radio series Fugitive Waves.
1: Our studios were in the third Holiday Inn that was built in the world. I wanted to be in the Holiday Inn because it was just something about it, such a real new concept. Well, we had a little tiny reception office, just itty-bitty. The sales room, my word of honor, was 42 inches wide. The little studio had a name, it was called the doll den. Oh, yes, the doll den. That was the
2: one where the sales were. It was pink and purple in very delicate colors. It was decorated and painted like a dollhouse. Propaganda was the newsroom.
1: Equipment. Equipment was bras and panties and... Holes. we had a little clothesline they had all the little <laughs> unmentionables just something to make a little fun thing and people come up and they say oh <laughs> the other stations thought we were nuts you know i mean they didn't do anything even close to what we were doing <laughs> it wasn't anything but fun that's what it was but now don't take me wrong it was serious business too
3: so as you just heard the station's headquarters was unorthodox in several ways but pastel colors and hanging bras were just the beginning. So an early article about the city's newest station had this to say, quote, The studios and offices have been feminized from front door to rear exit. The disc jockeys are called jaquettes. The studio is known as the doll's den. The control rooms are called playrooms. The hallway is mirrored. The equipment room has been decorated with murals depicting the evolution of feminine clothing. The stationery is perfumed. The advertisers are listed in a date book, and the exit to the parking lot is lettered, bye-bye till next time, end quote. But even the flamboyant and, let's be honest, perhaps condescending design of the studio paled in comparison to the radical experiment that was happening within its walls. So as Sam Phillips recalled in 1960, quote, when I started WHER, people thought I had rocks in my head. A girl could do a cooking show, but no one thought girls could handle hour-to-hour programs and commercials. I felt differently. So WHER first hit the airwaves in October of 1955 on 1430 AM, and women were empowered with virtually every aspect of running the station. So on the air, the so-called joquettes, which actually included Sam Phillips' wife, Becky, they read the news, conducted interviews, and of course spun some of the popular records of the day. I thought it was notable they actually... Played a lot of tunes from black artists who rarely got airplay on the other white stations at the time. So women were also, you know, other than being the voices on the radio, in control of the -the behind-the-scenes tasks, like production, sales, uh, and all the other numerous roles that have to be filled in order to run a successful station. So in other words, WHER was really much more than just a, a novelty or a weird ploy. It was a really an intentional and deliberate attempt to empower women in the media in ways that had rarely, if ever, been attempted. So in an interview from the time, then program director Dorothy Abbott said, quote, we are not trying to prove that we, we can get along in a world without men. We are simply trying to prove that when a group of women make up their collective minds, that they are going to do something successfully, no force on earth can keep them from it. So who exactly were the women who helped put Sam Phillips' dream and Dorothy Abbott's prediction into place? The answer, of course, is not simple. Um, Many women walked through the doors over the years. All of them contributed it in their own way. But certain figures do emerge as particularly important. One of the women was Dorothy Abbott herself, uh, who was known as Dottie by her listeners and co-workers. So let's take a quick second to listen to some of those women speak about Dottie's important role at the station.
1: Dottie Abbott, she was the one that was really the heart of the radio station. She was our boss.
2: Dottie Abbott drove convertible all the time, so did I. We would go to Nashville to the DJ conventions. We would be the most popular gals there. We were the only two. Dottie wore black dresses. She walked around all the time with cigarette dangling in her lip. And ashes all down the front of her dresses. And she would put a cigarette between her teeth, and she would tell us, I want you girls to get out here now and sell some time. And she'd be straightening her blouse, and she had big boobs, and and she would always be pulling at her girdle.
1: Dottie Abbott, she was a very career-oriented lady and did not have any children. Dottie never married. I don't know why, she just never married.
3: So uh, another one of the indispensable women at WHER was Sam Phillips' wife, Becky, who apparently was... Instrumental in helping him develop the idea for an all-women station from the very earliest days. And as I mentioned right before, Becky Phillips was also one of the station's earliest on-air personalities. And importantly, one of the few women who had previous broadcasting experience. So in fact, she and Sam had originally met at a radio station in Alabama where she was working. So let's again one of the few who had done it before. Sam said he was inspired by Becky's, quote, innate spirit, spirituality of the presentation, which is, you know, sam Samite if I've ever heard one. And he said that that was uh, just her, her on-air personality and the way she read. He was what allowed him to think of WHAR and believe that it would not be a success without her. So in the following years, Becky would work as program director, an on-air personality, and also a trainer to all new announcers. Before we continue, let's listen to a brief interview with Betty Berger, who was one of the many women who got their start in broadcasting under the tutelage of Becky Phillips.
2: My name is Betty Berger. My career started in 1956 when I went to work for WHER. Sam's wife, Becky, has a beautiful radio voice. And I think Sam recognized that. Thinking, well, what would that sound like? Women playing records and music and talking and saying commercials and doing the news. That's... It's different.
3: So it should be noted that Betty Berger herself, who we just heard from, was also a bit of a female pioneer pioneer in Memphis, and not just for her role in W-H-E-R. So without digressing too much, I do want to point out that Betty and her husband were the owners of the Plantation Inn Club in West Memphis, where many, many of the soul icons of the 60s and 70s got their start. Um, She was also a successful songwriter and booking agent a little later in life, post-W-H-E-R, and represented high-profile clients such as Charlie Rich and Willie Mitchell. In fact, her contributions to Memphis music were significant enough, I noticed, to garner an entire chapter in the book, Tennessee Women, Their Lives and Times. It's so certainly somebody to look a little bit more into. Anyway, a final WHER personality that I think is worthy of highlighting is a woman by the name of Vita Jane Butler, Vida, excuse me, Vida Jane Butler, although the listeners of WHER would have known her as Janie Joplin. So Butler, who remained at WHER for pretty much the entire lifespan of the station, was one of the station's most popular DJs and was really uh, known for her positive and cheerful attitude. Furthermore, Butler was probably the station's most valued copywriter, and the commercials she produced sparkled with her wit and creativity. So following the shuttering of WHER, Butler went on to work for station WHBQ, where she remained until her retirement. During that stint, she won numerous awards for the uh, commercial spot she wrote. And she was often nominated in and participated in the Clio Awards, which were the highest honor in advertising, so quite a legacy. Anyway, let's hear a little bit from Butler or Janie Joplin as she was known, talking a bit about her career and the things she learned while at WHER.
1: This is Janie Joplin. Seems like every job I ever had, I had earphones on. I started out when I was very young working at the phone company. I worked in a long line of ladies sitting in a high chair. We would sit with a little plug in our hand and look for a red light. And when it came on, we'd plug in and say, long distance. My name at the time was Vida Jane Joplin. And Dottie said to me, Now we've got to decide what to call you. We cannot have an announcer on the air called Vita Jane. Maybe it just sounded a little too old-fashioned. Vida Jane. sound a little too Southern, surely. You weren't supposed to sound really Southern. You just were not supposed to be drawling. You were supposed to talk radio talk. Pronounce all your I and Gs and put the S's where the S's ought to be at the end of the word. I had to practice to be on the air.
3: But now that we've familiarized ourselves with just a few of the bigger personalities on WHER, let's shift our focus a bit to the content and impact of the station. So generally speaking, WHER was an easy-listening station that primarily focused on jazz, torch songs, and you know other similar genres. This was for several reasons, not the least of which being that Sam Phillips insisted that WHER not be viewed as simply a vehicle promoting the rockabilly and rock and roll That he was producing at Sun Studios. So to quote Sam, uh, quote, I didn't want anybody to think we were building this radio station to promote Sun Records. Now believe me, I love rock and roll. I loved it then and I love it now. But I knew that the concept we had for the station was that we were not going to use any of my great rock and roll records. So there was also an apparent dearth of so-called album music being played on the radio at Memphis at the time. And uh, Sam felt, you know, it that that hole could and should be filled but it was becky phillips ultimately who had the final word on the station's playlist and she would apparently immerse herself in the new releases of the day with an eye towards two things tempo and language she insisted that are play nothing with any profanity that being said the women According to those interviews, I heard we're not above sneaking in some tracks that Becky likely would not have approved of. Anyway, as WHER gained popularity among Memphians, other stations began to take note, with some stations around the nation even emulating their format, although few, if any, went as far as staffing every position with women. The popularity of the station also meant that the jockettes were minor celebrities in their own right, um, which opened up a lot of opportunities for them. They got you know, hosted local talent shows, things of the like, got to go to the exclusive parties. And even Elvis Presley was a fan and went as far as inviting some of the talent to visit him at his Graceland home. Anyways, as the 1950s rolled in, the more volatile decade of the 60s, kind of forced innocent sweetness of WHER quickly became a bit outdated. But luckily, the tenacious women of the station were quick to adapt to their rapidly shifting surroundings. Um, As Memphis became a focal point of the civil rights movement, every media institution in the city was pretty much called upon to report from the ground and this ended up including the women of WHER. So although on-the-ground journalism and reporting was certainly not part of their expertise or their day-to-day routine, nor were many of the women, according to to themselves, too political or involved, they did show a willingness to go outside of their comfort zones and to kind of express opinions that were not necessarily shared by a lot of their majority white audience. This became especially true in the wake of the assassination of Dr. King, which really seemed to awaken a new sense of journalistic and moral responsibility amongst the women. So in an interview, one of the DJs recalled, quote, Memphis had this story about itself that everything was separate, but it was equal. And when the spotlight got turned on the segregated city that Memphis was, it was obvious that it wasn't equal at all. So as expected, the women would often receive angry phone calls from listeners, often about their, new, their news coverage, but sometimes even in reference to their musical choices. So here's DJ Betty Berger in an interview recorded at the Rock and Soul Museum discussing one such instance.
2: When I was on the air, I played some of my favorites that I liked, which was Ella Fitzgerald, Dinah Washington, Nat King Cole. And one day a lady called me and she said, I'd like to speak to the girl that was just on the air. And I said, uh, th- she, this is she. She said, I would like to tell you that you do nothing but play black music. But she didn't say black. And I want to report you to your boss. And I said, you don't like it? She says, no, I don't. I said, then push the button next to you.
3: The button right next to her, of course, being the, the phone receiver to, in the phone call. Anyway, WHER continued to successfully operate through the tumultuous 60s into the early 1970s, and continued to provide a launchpad for ambitious women broadcasters and as an inspiration to the thousands of listeners. Ironically, it was as the women's movement began to hit its peak in the early 1970s that I guess the novelty of women holding traditionally male jobs began to decline a bit, as did the market for smooth, easy listening formats. As a a result, WHER changed its call letters and began hiring men um, in various roles. So for all intents and purposes, this marked the end of the WHER era, but certainly not before the station had helped to radically shift the media landscape, not only in Memphis, but truly across the nation. Before we wrap up, I want to give Sam Phillips one final word.
1: There was just something special in the air when WHER was on the air. And there was something special about being inside of that radio station, too, when it was taking place. And it was not, I'm telling tell you, it was not a novelty very long. It was a novel idea, I mean, you know. WHER was the embryo of the egg because there wasn't anything else like it in the world. <laughs>
0: Memphis, if you're looking for a judgment-free shop to get your first or next tattoo, look no further than Ronin Tattoo at 2615 Broad. Owner Babak has been in the business for decades. Located in the heart of Broad Avenue Arts, his boutique shop Ronin is known for its relaxed atmosphere and talented, versatile group of artists. They also have an eclectic collection of comics and toys for sale, and the background music runs the gamut from black metal to 80s hair. Ronin has developed a cult following over the past as the only five-star rated tattoo shop in the city. Here are some of the things that people are saying on Facebook about Ronin, where it's been recommended by almost 200 people. A true professional, talented beyond belief. No better artist anywhere. They made getting my first tattoo a pleasurable experience. I've gone to three other local artists, but the ones at Ronin are my favorite. The tattoo gods smile upon Ronin. Come see Babak or Carlos Tuesday through Saturday from 4 p.m. to midnight. Limited walk-ins available. Shop minimum 60 bucks. Make your appointment via email at roninmemphis at gmail.com. Or head to their Facebook, Ronin Design and Manufacturing. Or call 901-371-6923. That's 901-371-6923. Friends of the OEM Network get 10% off their tattoo no matter the size call today.
3: Well, I hope you learned, enjoyed learning a bit about WHER. I certainly think it's important to recognize that in many ways, WHER was as important to women's representation in local media as Memphis's all-black station WDIA was to African Americans. And that both are really cultural legacies that we should be extremely proud of here in Memphis. I think it also serves to further illustrate that Sam Phillips greatest skill may not have been as a producer, although great at that he was, but as a person who had an inherent understanding of you know, really the beauty that could come from giving underrepresented communities a chance to express their voices in art and give them a bunch of ownership over their own, their own media. So if you'd like to learn more about WHER, the Memphis Rock and Soul Museum does have a great exhibit that includes some original equipment from that studio as well as some additional interviews. With that being said, let's have a head over to the crate where we go from time to time to sift through some of Memphis's most notable and important albums.
1: When I woke up this morning ooh, Tears were rolling down my face When I woke up this morning, Lord Tears were rolling down my face I dream the man that I love Has another lover in my place
3: So that was blue singer Alberta Hunter with the title track from her celebrated 1978 album Remember My Name which is the focus of today's segment. But before we get into the album, let's briefly discuss exactly who Alberta Hunter was. So Hunter was born in Memphis in 1895 and grew up apparently with a pretty tragic childhood, uh, marred by poverty and abuse and the like. So her search for a better life eventually brought her to Chicago, where she began singing in various smaller clubs, until she caught her big break in 1917 when she began singing at the fabled Dreamland Café where she would uh, often perform alongside legends like King Oliver, Louis Armstrong, and fellow Memphian Lil Hardin Armstrong. So before long, Hunter was one of the Windy City's most celebrated blues singers, and her popularity allowed her to tour around the world, earning legions of fans far and wide. So in the early 1920s, she moved to New York City and continued to break barriers and sell out shows. So in addition to recording hit songs like Downhearted Blues, Hunter also began performing on Broadway and even became a bit of a civil rights icon when she became the first African American singer to perform with an all white band, which was the original Memphis Five. So despite the continued su- success she experimented art. so despite the continued su- success she experienced over the next couple of decades, by the 1950s, Hunter was finally ready to give her music and acting career a rest, saying at the time, quote, quote I went as far as you could go. I played Broadway, I played the Royal Theatre in London, I played in Paris, and I figured I had gone to the top. So a bit unexpectedly, Hunter's next career venture was as a nurse, although she had to fabricate a high school diploma to even get the job. Despite this, uh, by all accounts, her career was a successful one, and she remained in that nursing job for the next 20 years before retiring at the age of 81. So believe it or not, this is where our story really begins today. So as a retired octogenarian, uh, Alberta Hunter made an unexpected return to music, first as a regular performer at the New York club, Barney Josephson's Cookery. And these celebrated performances really drawn huge crowds and quickly led to a full-blown career comeback, which included pretty frequent television appearances and uh, large public performances. So in 1978, Hunter was given a small role in the film Remember My Name by director Robert Altman, who went on to commission her to write and perform the soundtrack music for that film. So despite it being the soundtrack being the first full-length solo release in almost three decades, the album Remember My Name showcased all of the qualities that had made Alberta Hunter a star some sixty years prior. And the uh, age had kinda had a grittiness to her voice that I think audiences really found irresistible. So in a 1979 review of the album for the New York Times, journalist John Listner wrote, quote, The music Miss Hunter recorded for the movie is her own, and the, the lights of this soundtrack album, produced by John Hammond and featuring a sympathetic support by outstanding jazz musicians, can be savored without reference to the film. Indeed, the recording stands autonomously as one of the most relaxed, relaxed and vibrant blues jazz sessions released in the past year. He went on to write, quote, on Remember My Name, Miss Hunter sings with the gutsy strength and robust artistry that is amazing audiences and her public performances. Incredibly, her 83-year-old voice remains a strong, flexible instrument, and she projects an authoritative, hard-hitting approach to the blues that eclipses the work of many contemporary performers decades her junior. So, along with her New York Club gigs, Remember My Name was really instrumental. Um, and bringing about one of the greatest career resurgences in music history. So following the release of the album, Hunter embarked on a world tour and then went on to release a staggering four more albums before passing away in 1984 at the age of 89. So before we move on, let's take a listen to one more track from Remember My Name called You Reap What You Sow
1: and boast about your riches your every wish someone's command you can go around cheating people by some trickery or plan you can tell lies on your neighbor and think no one will ever know but just as sure as you are living you got to reap just what you sow you got to reap just what you sow yes you got to reap just what you sow on the mountain
2: oh, in a valley you've got just hurt your soul. Yes, you got to you so Yes
3: All right well before we wrap things up I'd like to thank the good folks at Arts Memphis and the Ginium Foundation for their generous support of this show. And a message to you out there if you haven't already, please subscribe to Memphis Musicology wherever you get your podcast and be sure to leave us a rating as well. That being said, let's hop over to the Mud Island Mixtape where we go at the end of each show to add yet another song to our ever-growing list. Alrighty, so before we get into today's song, I do want to point out that the Mud Island Mixtape can now be found as a real actual playlist on Spotify that includes each of our previous submissions to the mixtape as well as some songs that are featured in each episode. So be sure to check that out. So today I want to play a song from singer-songwriter John Kelser, who tragically passed away a few weeks ago in mid-March. Although I didn't know Kelser personally, nor was I too familiar with his music beforehand, his impact on the Memphis music community became immediately clear to me as friends and artists began posting and speaking about how much his life and art had meant to them. So I knew I had to check him out. Anyway, earlier this year, John released a new album, Scars, that featured the hauntingly beautiful track Hello Heart which is what I'd like to play today. So if you want to learn more about John Kilzer's life and career, I'd highly suggest that you check out some of the many heartfelt obituaries that have come out from his colleagues and friends in the last few weeks. Definitely some great ones. And suffice to say, he lived quite a life and will be remembered fondly by many. Anyway, without further ado, here's the late, great John Kilzer with his 2019 track, Hello Heart. I'll catch y'all next time.
2: chill yeah. up and down my
0: Thanks again to our sponsor Ronan Tattoo, hands down the best shop in the city. For a judgment-free atmosphere and the highest quality tattoo work, visit our friends at Ronan and mention OAM when booking your appointment and get ten percent off your tattoo. Call 901-371-6923 or email RonanMemphis at gmail.com.